Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Your source for big gun talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Talkle Empire, the last uncanceled podcast remaining that's going to tell you uh, what you really need to know about Big Ten football. Uh, I'm Thumbasaurus, a.k.a. Steve Brown, uh, whichever. And with me today, replacing my co-host Andrew, is our own MN Wildcat. And yeah, the thing that you need to know is, oh, guess what? Now the national conversation in the Big Ten is about bullshit politics and changing the rules of the stupid season on the fly because everything... Really stupid. It's exactly as stupid as we all thought it would be. It, it, it's awful. And I'm actually literally looking right now at Shannon Ryan and the Chicago Tribune with a, like, the Big Ten needs to get Ohio State into the conference title game. No, they don't need to do anything. They can print their own fucking money. And if one year goes by where Ohio State does not appear in the conference championship game, guess what? We are all going to live. We'll keep cashing the BTN checks or the big network or whatever they want to call themselves now. It's... It's just so, I'm I'm so tired of this like reversion all of a sudden to the to the little uh, to the big two little eight era that like you don't owe Ohio State anything. Like, no, it's don't. big one little thirteen. It's, it's even worse now because yeah, you know as, as I've said many times, Ohio State won the national title in 2014 and Illinois still sucks. Yeah, it's not doing any of the rest of us any good. Like even the the let us play or let them play bullshit from Nebraska. Like just stop. Stop pretending that Ohio State doing well has any effect on like on what Northwestern does or what Indiana does. And at this point, like it's actively detrimental to Indiana, who is now ranked what I think it's eight or ninth in the country in the AP and, and coaches polls. Like, if there's a team having a good season in the East, they deserve the same opportunity as one in the West that like Northwestern would have had. And Northwestern getting congratulated like middle of the day by some Big Ten tweet on. Uh, on Saturday that that they'd won the West just shows like if the conference exists to boost Ohio State's profile then let's just go to where there's one mega conference of Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and everybody else and let the rest of us play for uh, play actual college football but exactly this is this is something that I've this is something that I have expressed support of is just yeah let's just go ahead and get college football champions league and then we'll reform with something called the western conference um you know, for those of us that just watch our teams, be, you know, that wouldn't watch our teams because we're looking for national titles, because why in the hell would either of us do that? Um, and it's also, we're doing all this for Ohio State, and they, and, and yet plenty of programs managed to keep their players from getting COVID, and plenty of them managed to go through the whole season. Considering we were doing this for all for Ohio State, uh, Seems like they could have met us halfway. You just you look at that that Barry Alvarez quote that our league can't keep them from having the opportunity if they have a chance to be in the finals. They kept themselves from that. And while it's tough to look at programs and say, "Well, you should have done more about COVID," because it's a, a pandemic that look even 
some of the most cautious people are having trouble avoiding. The idea that our league can't keep Ohio State from having the opportunity, Ohio State kept Ohio State from having that opportunity. That's I it just I'm I'm really really sick of this narrative of just that they we owe them something and that that Barry Alvarez is going to bully the Big Ten into it. Like not to mention it, the AD said that they could have played Illinois. Why didn't they? Were they serious, honest to God, worried about the state of their program? Uh, you know, being able not, not being able to to put us away, or did they think that it would risk them canceling the next two games? Or what the hell is the deal? It's honestly, I'm just to the point where Ohio State's going to be in the championship game. They're going to steamroll my, you know, my Wildcats, and and we just move on. It's it's so frustrating, and it's so the way the world's going to work until, like you said, that that NCAA Champions League comes out or something in probably five, ten years' time. Yeah. So you know what? You're going to be bombarded with takes about Ohio State and how to get them in the playoffs and and how we absolutely should. We must do this, but. Uh, let's talk about all the other things. Um, I guess let's get them out of the way. Ohio State 52, Michigan State 12. You can't be spooky three times in a season and certainly not twice in a row. So Michigan State, there's just nothing there. Yeah, I mean, we saw uh, we saw Peyton Thorne, who, by the way, like Peyton Thorne is the name of somebody who is shirtless and like has his nipples hard on the cover of one of those like bodice buster novels. It's you could easily tell me that he's in like one of those dime store trashy novels, and I would totally believe that Peyton Thorne is the like the stable boy who the princess falls in love with or something. Sounds kind of like the the sounds kind of like a bad guy in like a teen romance. Ooh, yeah, I could see that too. Again, but always has to be shirtless with his nipples hard too, right? <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, he has tips. Oh, absolutely. I mean, did he take off his helmet? Do we know for sure if he doesn't? I don't believe he does, only because I feel like we'd know by now. <laughs> it's probably true. Uh, I mean, he had a, he spelled you know Rocky Lombardi, and we hope that Lombardi's okay. Obviously, he was he wound up being a, what a Michigan State's leading ball carrier on the day. Like he ran more than any of the either of the uh, the two running backs. And I don't know, man. It's it's Michigan State getting steamrolled. They have a quarterback competition now. What more is there to say? Ohio State's just that much better. Yeah, I mean, you had the broadcast talking about how impressive it was to win this game down 23 players, but anybody that's looked at football recruiting would have told you that, yeah, I would absolutely take Ohio State's second string over Michigan State starters right now. I'd probably take their third string. And, I mean, we talk second string starters. Look, like Master Teague, Justin Fields, and Trey Sermon are all getting double-digit carries. Chris Olave is catching the ball ten times. You can say, well, we missed a couple linemen, whatever it might have been. Like you said, you're still playing with replacement-level players at Ohio State are starting caliber players at most other Big Ten schools. It just I have, I have no sympathy for that, and I, I don't think many people do outside of the occasional Ohio State fan that wants to cry about it and seem relatable to the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. So, whatever. No more Ohio State. Penn State 23, Rutgers 7. So, we always knew Penn State wasn't really this bad. But this is by far the best they've played all season and most resembles what they I think they kind of expected to be like. Yeah, and I, I think it shows how, how far Rutgers still has to go, but just... Penn State, generally speaking, having still the horses and kind of being able to play past, you know, play their way past the worst, um, you know, the worst teams in the conference. And, and we saw just how inefficient, you know, a Rutgers can be. It's, you know, Noah Vedral's a, a nice story and stuff, some of the early wins, but him, him being your leading rusher and, you know, throwing the ball 30 times for a whole 113 yards. It just, I think it's, a, you know, Penn State might be finding its legs, but they're finding their legs against, you know, the worst of the worst here. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this is a three game win streak that ultimately is, is just going to prove that like, Oh no, we're not quite like, we're not just going away forever, which nobody ever thought they were. Uh, Kevon Lee is a guy that can actually take handoffs for yards between the tackles kind of, you know, they, they just didn't have a guy like that for some of those, especially for Nebraska. They just didn't have anybody they could hand it off to. And I guess they just found this dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, they generally just kind of did the the Wisconsin gentleman's blowout to Rutgers here, <laughs> right? Where it's like it's twenty, it, it's like a two to three score game, but it feels like it could be sixty. And I think for all intents and purposes, it really was. It's you know, Penn State just kind of ran straight ahead. They're uh, from what I recall of their drives, they're. Uh, their drives were generally speaking long. They chewed clock. Even the opening drive went for like six and a half minutes and they turned it over on downs, but that's, you know, they moved the ball when they didn't have it. They punted, you know, and, and by and large, it was Rutgers wasn't going anywhere. And so Penn state kind of in the second half comfortably just ease their way by and know that Rutgers wasn't really going anywhere outside of Penn state, giving them the ball deep in Penn state territory. Yeah. So another thing that I'll, I'll just note is, is you know because it's uh it's still an adjustment to see Rutgers as like a Big Ten football team um <laughs> but if we played 10 games the 12 games this year Bo Melton would have doubled his career reception yardage he has already quadrupled his touchdown count his six this year versus two prior uh we always describe this guy as like when we talk about Rutgers is like yeah maybe Bo Melton can get loose for a catch here and there but you know it's not saying much for him to be their leading receiver and stuff but hey you know, he's, he's their, uh, their leading receiver. And he seems like a, a, a decent guy who'd probably get on the field most places. Now no, and it's it, just, just competent coaching. Absolutely. Competent coaching. And the guy's shown that like he, he chips in on special teams. He was the one actually who had the running into the kicker penalty yesterday, but it seems like he's got the ability to catch the ball. And I think, you know, especially with Shiano's kind of reputation or connections, what have you, this one year could be enough to get him some NFL looks. It's, I'd, I'd be excited to see what, you know, what he could do at the next level is kind of that, you know, scat pass catcher and, uh, and punt returner, that sort of thing. It's, it, I'm, I'm happy to see that Shiano's kind of turned him into a, a product that might actually get some looks at the next level. Yeah. It's absolutely interesting to see that, you know, just how quickly he's done it. And Although we panned him, we, we kind of panned the hire to begin with. Oh, for sure. Everything that he's done, you know, all the things they started doing in the off season, they just all seemed like exactly the kind of things that you'd hope a coach does. So, you yeah. know, may may end up being one of the more successful retreads. I don't know. It depends on how North Carolina does. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, who the hell are they playing? I don't know. Um, but uh, moving on, Iowa thirty-five, Illinois twenty-one. So, <laughs> Do you have thoughts on this one? Yeah. So Illinois started the game in some kind of a trance-like state where they could do no wrong, playing one of the best first quarters I've ever seen. Peters was eight for eight. They were, you know, they're moving the ball on the ground and through the air. Uh, they they called a blitz on the first defensive series, and it got home for a sack. And then they got pressure with just rushing four, and it was Petrus was missing easy throws. And I'm thinking like. Wow, could they actually? Could Iowa actually dig a big enough hole here that we could hold on to win? And no, about twenty minutes into the game, um, after that, we just played the twenty eighteen game for half an hour. Um, it started when they allowed a fourth and three conversion that basically marked the end of the game for the Illini, up fourteen nothing. 
they never stood a chance from that moment on. <laughs> and it, it, you have to, you do have to give credit to the fact that uh, Iowa pounded, you know, with Goodson and with Sargent. I mean, that's a, a scary two-headed backfield, but I, they found the way to to allow Spencer Petras to get into these more kind of comfortable situations. It seemed like where he was throwing, Lovey. It seemed like did he he got away from blitzing as much or got away from using that blitz at all against a quarterback that we know has happy feedback there and that has a huge issue with confidence. He was, I mean, two hopping him to receivers on like a three-yard out route and. Well, the thing is, what Lovey Smith does for a game plan doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what the with with what the opponent's going to do. It's just what Lovey wants the team's identity to be is what he's going to call. I have no idea how the hell. That, I mean, it's possible that Kalen Tolson called his own number on that blitz, uh, and I said, "Wow, there's no way they had film on that because we just we just don't blitz. Um, we should blitz because the front four doesn't get enough pressure, but." We simply don't. We demonstrated that we could, you know, we could really make Petrus do some really stupid things, the kind of things we were going to need to make him do to win the game if we blitzed, but we simply declined to for the rest of the game because that's not how Lovey Smith wants to play defense. And, and this is the problem here. Um, with This game kind of convinced me that, just like last year convinced me that Lovey Smith will never beat Pat Fitzgerald. He'll never beat Kirk Ferentz because those two are just these coaches that – they're just kind of they just do the obvious things as far as game game strategy is concerned um you know to the point of being boring but they do the obvious things competently and try to just avoid making mistakes and just realize that eventually anything interesting or explosive you know they won't they'll only be able to do it so many times and I think it's that they know how to do it at the college level too. It's, I still don't see, you know, and I'm not in on Alina recruiting the way that the way that you and others might be, but I'm not seeing that Lovey knows how to be that kind of, we do our one thing and we just wait for others to make the mistake that, that an Iowa or that a Northwestern has been good at doing. And that's why I think Lovey loses to, to Ferentz and Fitzgerald with, with kind of the, the alacrity that he does. It's just, you know exactly what you're going to get out of those two teams and what you're going to get out of Illinois. And Illinois doesn't seem to recognize that there needs to be this kind of commitment to building a, a college-level consistency or a college-level program. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've heard things about, um, you know, about Coach – like, I heard something about uh, Calvin Avery, who is who was a four-star defensive tackle out of – out of Texas, a really, really big time recruit. And he just doesn't play anymore. Uh, even though we, we desperately need defensive tackle help. And I, I guess first there was some noise that he was complaining that he got better coaching in uh, high school. Um, <laughs> and, and then he's just, he's just never in shape or anything. So I don't know exactly how they're managing this, but they had defensive starters go down uh, only for two of them to be replaced by walk-ons when we've got Shaman Cooper, who was an, again, another huge recruiting win. And he's a he's a redshirt freshman now, and so you'd figure you want to get the athletes on the field here, but Lovey's doing this Kirk Ferentz thing where it's like, well, you got the guys that are in the system and do the right thing, and they've been around longer, but he hasn't demonstrated that he's got the kind of system where that actually matters because the guys that have been around the longest still leave that big gaping hole over the middle of the defense 10 yards deep. And that's exactly what they started to do in the second quarter was just throw the ball 10 yards downfield to the middle and someone will go get it. Mm -hmm. And it certainly won't be wearing orange and blue. 
Well, and I think for as much as, you know, Brian Ferentz gets a lot of shit for the way that he calls games for Iowa, that in addition to those passes, you know, 10 yards down the field, he, he figured out when when Iowa managed to flip the script in, in the second quarter and then into the, into the third that, um, you know, the, like that swing pass that, that uh, they got to Amir Smith-Marset, just get, like you have these playmakers and they've had them, I mean, all the way going back to Johnson Koulianos and some of these, these big names out of Iowa that for whatever, you know, reason, they're black, never wound up finding, you know, gaining these athletes that never wound up gaining traction that get, the ball in the hands of your playmakers and they're going to help you win it's, it's swing the ball out to amir smith marset you know it, it, get the ball in the hands of, of goodson and sergeant give them lanes to cut back in and they're good enough to do that and and iowa began to just kind of again death by not necessarily a thousand paper cuts but just by hitting you over the head with a hammer over and over and over again with playmakers who can get into that space and exploit those adjustments and those kind of talent deficiencies that Lovey refuses to address. Uh, you know, Iowa, once again, this is what Ference has excelled at, just finds that that hole in Illinois and just pokes at it and pokes at it and pokes at it and eventually just rips it open. And it, even with that 14 nothing lead that Illinois, 14 nothing right, that Illinois built up? Yep. You just, you felt like, okay, this is, when is this going to come crashing down? And that's, you know, that existential dread that I know you have. And, and even yeah. Illini special teams just was, what a, what a letdown Awful. so much of that I was. mean, you know, it's hard to be, I, I compare it like this. It's hard to be mad at Aaron Rodgers when he has a shitty game as a Packers fan, because it's like, he's had so many great games that like, whatever he's due for, sometimes <laughs> he's going to have a shitty game. It happens so infrequently that I just, whatever, just, Leave it another day. Blake Hayes, same situation. He just didn't have a good day. Some of this was calling directional punts out of our own end zone because we didn't trust the coverage team. But, you know, then they got a, a kick-catch interference penalty and kind of proved why we shouldn't trust them. The special teams, which, which again, it's something that Illinois has been really good at. They were one of the best in the country last year. Very much lacking. And if you're going to have the worst special teams day, like, in years for your program, mm-hmm. you don't want to do it against Kirk Ferentz. No, and it, it just, like you said, you, Iowa is just such a model of that kind of maddening, infuriating beat you over the head with a hammer consistency that it's, like you say, you cannot have, especially from something that's been as good that you can rely on as, as Blake Hayes, you just can't have a day where he's putting up 38 yards of punt and directionally kicking because you don't trust your coverage. That's that's a mistake where you, you've lost that phase of the game before you've even started. And Tory Taylor is, is an all, you know, a Blake Hayes esque punter for Iowa. And that's Iowa, you know, had the, had the upper hand on special teams. And you know, what sucks is there's a, there were a few pretty cool stories that I now just don't care about because <laughs> of the way the rest of the game went. We had a backup kicker. Caleb Griffin is now our starting punt returner because Reggie Corbin put it this way on Twitter that uh, he just is the best at catching punts in practice. Uh, which I like because every time we go back to return a punt, I just pray that we don't turn the ball over. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you even return. It's amazing. It's a great story. And yet here we are, you know, fetching about everything else that, that Illinois did wrong. But you're absolutely right. I, I only got so excited about that 14, nothing. Cause the difference is I was watching the Packers, big Packers fan. I was watching them last night, beating down the Eagles 23. And then all of a sudden they allow two quick touchdowns, one on a punt return. And it's a one score game. And I'm like, wait a minute. What the f- fuck has happened here what's going on what are we doing holy shit what's going so then when the tide started to turn in iowa illinois i'm like oh okay i know exactly what the fuck is going on here this is okay so we're doing this now all right whatever and then uh 
the last thing I want to mention is, uh, yeah, I mean, Petrus started to get more confidence after he was able to hit those easy passes. So, uh, you know, once again, we are basically the tire and lube shop. We will fix what ails you as a program. Uh, we decided to – Illinois, though, started to, uh, started to rethink its strategy on offense – down 14 with 12 minutes to go and they put in their option quarterback. Um, I don't know if they just thought it was a scrimmage by that point. Williams didn't look bad. That's. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. just it's too late in the game it's it's too late to do it that's yeah so you gotta and i've been screaming this all year if peters is ineffective rushing the ball you need to have a quick hook and get williams in there before the game gets out of hand mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure and, and since you brought up peters i want to just circle back to it that and not to preview too much this weekend but we're potentially in for i mean even worse than a 14-6 rock fight in Iowa, in Iowa versus Wisconsin, and any Iowa fan saying, "Well, after the second quarter or second and a half quarter, uh, you know, Petrus looked better." That there, are, there's one game where Spencer Petrus has looked good this year, and there's one game where Graham Mertz has looked good this year, and they're both against Illinois. And to fans of both those teams, if you're expecting anything different, you know, good Petrus or good Mertz to show up, uh, boy, I would start recalibrating those expectations right the hell now because there's going to be pressure in both those guys' faces, and there's going to be a lot of two-hopped passes if, uh, if this entire season is any indication. Not to mention, you just shouldn't judge passes or passing performances against Lovey Smith's secondary. <laughs> he started off his career by making Mitch Trubisky a first-rounder. Good old Mr. Biscuits tore him up. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, shit, last year, everybody was thinking, wow, wait, who's this true freshman quarterback from UConn? He might be like a future pro all of a sudden. He's nobody. That's who he is. He was against Illinois. Yep. Yeah. It's a, a, so that was my just one thing that kind of an Iowa takeaway here is that if you're getting the ball in the hands of Goodson and Sargent and, and Smith Marset, you know, maybe good things can happen against Wisconsin. But, and I don't, nobody's saying here, well, Spencer Petrus is going to win us the season. But boy, Iowa fans, I, it's, I, I'd hesitate saying anything more than, like you said, it's a pass, it's a big passing day against, against Lovey Smith. Here's a, uh, Here's a deep cut. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin is going to be Jason Sertzis versus Oklahoma State in wrestling. Oh, Jesus Christ. I want to blow my brain. So just thinking <laughs> about it. Holy hell. That game could have, like, the over-under on that game, maybe let's set it at, like, 12 drives total and just watch them run run the clock down. Or how many punts it's going to be. I mean, over-under set at, like, 16 right now. All right. Moving on to something that is uh, a little less rock fighty. Nebraska 37, <laughs> Purdue 27. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, the aristocrats, by which I mean Bob Diaco, <laughs> Purdue's opponents have scored 20, 24, 27, 34, 37, and 37. But it's even worse than that because the 20 was Spencer Peters' first start for Iowa, where he looked really shaky. 24 was to Illinois' fourth-string quarterback with several more offensive starters down. 27 was to Northwestern, a team that literally tries to score 10 every single game. Um, so the returns are not very promising early on Bob Diaco. And we've covered that to death. I just, what do you do? You just kind of admit that you fucked up here? You hope that Brom has the foresight to do that, or, you know, that is willing to swallow his pride and do that because it's, you, nothing. There's. Just, I really think Nick Holt was better at this job. Oh, he was. It's. I mean, especially when Bob Diaco is the alternative. I mean, this is a guy who's, at this point, just based on a pedigree and some good looks, is getting gigs. I can't figure out what, what in the world, you know, Brom and Purdue are thinking about keeping him around. That's they. They made Adrian. They made Adrian Martinez look like an all-conference player. It's. I don't know what to say about that. So Purdue finally found a solid ground game this season, but it doesn't really matter when you get down 17 nothing in the first nine minutes of the game. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you have Bob Diaco, then your offense needs to be built to throw it a lot and come from behind. And, and thank goodness they were able to throw it a lot with, uh, with, with uh, you know, Jake the Snack Plumber at, at quarterback. <laughs> Jack, at... Jack the Snack. No, 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 I'm pretty sure his name is Jake the Snack, right? It's a pretty famous quarterback. Seems like even <laughs> Purdue fans should know that. It's it's fairly obvious by now. But um, even that, you know, <laughs> with, I guess when you, you can take out uh, uh, sacks here and it gets a little bit better, but Purdue wound up rushing for negative two yards. I mean, that's... Uh, Not like 10 carries. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's partially because, like you said, they had to abandon the, you know, abandon the run, but... I mean, even that is Rondale Moore picking, catching 13 balls, but really just kind of throw it out to him in space and see if he can pick up the first down. It's, it, man, Purdue looks, looks just broken right now from, from how promising, I, promisingly I thought they were starting out. Yeah, especially because they have Moore and Bell back. Um, and I guess you could say that the week one result was really a lot more about Iowa's offense taking a while to gel than it was about Purdue really being a complete team all of a sudden it's yeah I, I mean I honestly I just it, it's so it I mean it's almost disappointing to see that you know it's they're in just kind of full okay let's get through the year mode and and just god the penalties after penalties after penalties I, I don't know what to say about about just how abysmal and how poorly coached Purdue looked yeah I think I heard on the broadcast this is the first time since the 1980s that two Big Ten teams both had over 100 yards of penalties in a game. Christ. Uh, I really honestly wanted to just – I just wanted to, to go outside and pretend the game wasn't happening when they had a drive where Nebraska has a 34-27 lead. So this is a tense point in the game, mm-hmm. right, because Purdue gets this stop and they can tie it up. 87 yards of penalties on this one drive – and it's not like there's spot fouls for pass interference like the NFL. It was, I mean, there was, there, there was just penalties on every play of the drive. 87 yards of penalties. It, it, it was undisciplined, poorly coached, just bad football. That extends, you know, across the field to, to Scott Frost's team. I just, I see nothing from either one of these programs that, that, you know, maybe if they catch lightning in a bottle in a good year, they're eight and four if they catch the, the schedule right. But it just, it, it, this was, 
this was bad. And I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's a bad product. It's, you know, uncompetitive and just looking at the, you know, at big red twice and at Jesse Collins and dead read, dead read or dead red, whatever he is just, you know, kind of melting down was, was this, you know, Brom and Brom and frost, I'm feeling a little bit similar about them right now in that I think that as coaches, as offensive coaches, they're phenomenal. They're some of the best in the conference, but as program managers is where they've really kind of failed uh, thus far. Because, I mean, I mean, Purdue, it doesn't matter who they put out there at quarterback. Their quarterbacks always seem to put up these, like, insane stat lines. Like, not necessarily huge volume, but, like, really accurate, really efficient, make the right mm-hmm. reads. I mean, and, and that's got to be down to coaching. Um, but, man, how do you hire Bob Diaco? And, and those are the questions that, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're what, Babinski, I think, is the former Xavier guy who's the Purdue AD right now. It's whoever yes. it is. It's, I mean, you have to, I think, be putting your thumb a little bit on that scale. Look, man, we gave you this huge contract. We've, we've re-upped to keep you from going to, I mean, the tire fire that is Louisville or whatever. But it's, you know, it's, something's got to be better. You've got to bring in you know, an experienced hand and not experienced in the sense that he had a couple good years and then has completely and utterly failed at every job since then. It's, how does this guy keep getting hired and i i mean this is probably preaching to the choir for purdue fans but you know you have to hope that the ad or that somebody is willing to intervene at some point and just i mean god bless it just really put a you know put some sort of light of fire under the ass of this uh of brahm in this program because i saw the stat out there and i think it was hammer and rails that had it that through 42 games or whatever that uh jeff brahm has the exact same record or had the exact same record as danny hope Oof. We're back to, you know, if you're Purdue, you're right back to where you, you know, right back to where you started. And that's, I mean, boy, howdy, that, that one year can only be worth so much, uh, so much goodwill. Yeah. Um, I, I have this sort of at the end of my, we're going to move on to Indiana 14, Wisconsin six. But what I have at the end of here is that, uh, with, or no, I think I have this in my preview, but whatever. Um, Tom Allen is just sitting over here with a likely path to the, to the big 10 title game. And he'll just never get the hype that Jeff Brom does. Why? Ohio State. That's, I, it was so cool to watch Tom Allen's players at the end of that game when he's trying to do the post-game interview. They're, you know, grabbing him, screaming in the microphone, best coach in America, all that sort of stuff. It just, it seems like, and I, I rip on the guy for, you know, everything, his favorite, you know, uh, his favorite band is some, you know, upfront Christian band bullshit that you find at Hillsong or Eagle Brook or whatever, you know, insert your favorite, you know, we're a fun, likable mega church nonsense, but God bless that that shtick seems to work. It's, he he is a likable guy apparently within his program, and people want to play for him, and they're producing, and you just feel good about you know that kind of wholesome nonsense bullshit that 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 works for him. It's you I feel think, good for Indiana, and just it sucks that they're not going to get over that Ohio State hump this year. Yeah, and part of that is is also with that culture comes the fact that his coach him and his coaching staff have absolutely added value to these players these teams are more than the sum of their parts is the thing i keep saying and and when you can demonstrate that you can do that well then the players you know start to really believe in everything that you're selling them and it it just kind of snowballs positively from there uh, indiana is a very complete team their defense is no joke if you don't have elite dudes at receiver you can get overrun pretty quickly with the pressure 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, failure and fry flow are what I mean, it's a, it's a terrifying, terrifying, uh, you know, offense that they have as well, that you can count on fry or failure to go out and, and catch that ball. It's they, he wound up getting, you know, getting more than just blood out of the stone of Jack Tuttle. I mean, let's have a backup walk into camp Randall and do enough to win that game with, I don't think Tuttle had any turnovers. That's like you said, value added at every position. And it's just, it's incredible to watch him do that. And it's a defense, like you said, that I don't want to, you know, I'm kind of thankful to be honest that Northwestern will just get gets blows, uh, get its doors blown off by Ohio State, and we can move on with our lives because that's it, it's a scary bunch. Every single th- complaint I have about the Lovey Smith defense, invert <laughs> those complaints into positive things, and that's what Indiana does. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's one. They're a little bit reliant on turnovers and that sort of thing, and that's. I don't know how sustainable a model that is but at this point they've they've managed to do that and they managed to force you know force wisconsin of all teams that's i mean almost hell northwestern model uh you know force wisconsin to make those extra mistakes and that's that's the way you beat the badgers well they also try to create turnovers with pressure as Mm -hmm. opposed to illinois trying to create turnovers (laughs) by accident yeah will you please throw us the ball or will you please drop the ball yeah that's um so you could argue that the game was won and lost here. Indiana got two takeaways to Wisconsin's one, committed one penalty for 15 yards. Wisconsin had 81 yards of penalties. And ultimately, yeah, like you said, Tuttle was was more than sufficient, but running the ball was just effective enough to keep Wisconsin honest. And they really, they wisconsin Wisconsin here. Oh, God, isn't it great to see? Yeah, because the other thing is that's not the only way they can win a game. Yeah, absolutely, and that's. Uh, I mean, look, you look at even the numbers of of how Tuttle and, and Stevie Scott and whoever I forget who the running the backup is to him. I mean, Stevie Scott was only coming in, I think, at like three yards a carry, or came out of this game at three yards a carry, but it was enough to just move the ball, and when it mattered for Indiana to keep their drive sustainable because they got uh, looking at something like most the third downs they converted almost all of them were third and, and manageable situations when it was third and I think eight or higher, they didn't convert. That's uh, I think the only third and seven converted was a, a pass to the pass to failure. That was the touchdown. And, and it really, when Indiana got kept itself on schedule and kept itself ahead of the sticks, you know, they were, they were able to be successful. And that's, I mean, it, it really looks like they, like you said, they Wisconsin, Wisconsin, they sustained drives and they just ran this kind of game right into the ground and, and forced Wisconsin to make those mistakes. Yeah. And Graham Birch for his part was pretty human looking and IU needed, IU limited the ground game enough that uh, Wisconsin really needed him to be a little more than human. Well, part of it for me is what is Wisconsin doing with this rotation of running backs? I don't understand why Jalen Berger is, is not getting I mean, he had, what, 15 carries, but he's averaging almost six yards a clip. Why you don't need Mason Stocky carrying the ball five times. You don't need Mertz running for his life. You don't need Groshek running the ball four times. If Jalen Berger is the guy who's, who's toting the rock effectively for you, just be Wisconsin. And, and Yeah, this has never been forward. a struggle for them before. It's like suddenly I, they, they feel like, I, I don't know, they won the West last year. I don't know why they decided to take a page out of Iowa's playbook this year and just bury their best back i don't get it either and it's even in their rushing attack you look at the people who are who are running the ball that there's no 
like uh, Kimara DK or however you say his name, uh, where did the Wisconsin jet sweep go? Like what all of a sudden they're trying to just run the ball straight forward at people. And they've now scored 13 points combined in their last two games. Wow. Like that's for, for an, a supposedly an offensive mind like Chris, it's, it's pretty damning. And that those two teams that you've scored 13 points combined against are Northwestern and Indiana. I mean, say what you want about the kind of Northwestern voodoo, but this is not, this is a this is an offense that's making bad decisions and, and that's relying on a freshman quarterback to to win them some games and uh, and they've never been that dependent on the quarterback no and now when they are dependent on the quarterback it's just they don't really have anybody at receiver that scares you anymore um it, yeah. it, Jake it's, Ferguson is not striking fear into my heart yeah so they're they're you they're they're more reliant on the pass than ever when the passing game is less effective than it's ever been. Yeah, it's could I, be it, cause and effect. I don't know. No, I, I, I'm I'm really thinking that there's they don't have the horses to just you know to catch those occasional. God, I'm dating myself with those old Jared Aberdares bombs. That what you know what receiver is going to get behind the defense's coverage? I just I don't really see anything that that strikes fear in my heart when you know Wisconsin's going to throw more checkdowns to the fullback and screens to the fullback than they are passes of 15, 20 yards. That's okay, great, let's bring 10 guys up in the box and, and we're just going to sit on you. And that's what Northwestern and, and Indiana did. Yeah, the Wisconsin jet sweep, I just always call that the sweat Jeep. Because <laughs> it, it just feels kind of like a Jeep with no air conditioning. Ugh, and there are three other Wisconsin linemen in the car with you. Yeah. Oh, God. So, I'm going to wrap up our recap here, but elsewhere, Chance Coogs was something oh to God. behold. That was so – the whole – the branding bit, the mullets versus the Mormons. I mean – The mullets versus Mormons is one of my favorite T-shirts I've ever seen. It, phenomenal. There's no – it just – that was so fun and so, like, fun to see this this gang just get amped up for it. That's – I mean, good for good for Coastal Carolina. And there was there was a bit with the dirtiness and, you know, kind of going after Zach Wilson. But if there's one team that I will never, you know, feel bad about, oh, a, a late hit kind of hurts you, it's, it's BYU. Um, C.J. Marable is a – for Coastal was a goddamn stud. I mean, that just to, – to ground BYU just enough and to to get that just kind of moxie and, and fight in the second half was was really something to behold. He, it's good for the good for the shots, and, you know, let's just let, – I'd love to see him push, uh, push their way towards making it an uncomfortable decision for the, uh, for the college football playoff committee. Uh, how about Rice? Rice <laughs> has two wins and is 500 – and shut out number twenty-one undefeated Marshall twenty to nothing. A, a Rice team that had to, you know, that was ducking Houston or whatever, and that canceled one its first three games of the year, and has been ravaged with with COVID and stuff like that. And just uh, it's fun to watch, you know, the Owls kind of, you know, the why does you know why does Rice play Texas, the old JFK bit that they're able to go <laughs> out and and win in such a variety of ways. What they a, what just really are. They have been one of the most reliably shitty teams for a long time now. Yeah, and it's even the way that they did it. I mean, they just they ran the ball on Marshall like that. It wasn't necessarily terribly effective, but they just kind of kept the game moving. And what five interceptions? I think the Marshall quarterback threw five interceptions that game. I mean, it's a, talk about a freak incident. But at the same time, like you picked them off and they ran one back. Like you, yeah. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Like good, good for Rice. That's Raheem Cato ain't walking through that door. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just 
yeah, the race race twenty Marshall Zero. What a what a scoreline. What a what a story. That's just fun. Uh, Stanford beat Washington. Cal beat Oregon. The Pac-12 is trying to get everybody out of the rankings so that they can shut the season back down. The problem is, is it, it, did you watch any last night of Wazoo versus USC? I did not. Holy hell! This was, and I think it was it was White Speed Receiver who put it this way, and it's I, it was accurate, man. That was the, and it was twenty-eight nothing at the end of the first quarter. Oh my four, god! Four, four touchdowns, all to Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, you know younger brother or whatever it is of Osiris and Equinemius and all the other names. Oh shit. Does um, that one have hands? It got hands. Yeah. That's he, it, it was damn. So that's where all the hands went in that family. <laughs> it was, it was impressive. And granted Wazoo pointed the gun at its foot. And once the game kind of settled in, I mean, it wound up being just a routine kind of 38, 13 romp. Um, but Slovis threw five touchdowns. And the way white speed receiver put it was, this is the USC that every year we're promised we're going to see. They came out and just absolutely manned Ohio or manned Washington State for the first for the first two quarters, and then just kind of rode you know coasted into the barn. It's it was a a very 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 impressive kind of beat them down, but it's one where the Pac-12 has so many kind of like weird situations in play because at the top of the Pac-12, I think it must be the South, are both USC and Colorado both at four and zero. And I believe it was their game against one another that got uh, that got canceled. No, they just aren't playing one another. And so you could wind up having 5-0 USC, 5-0 Colorado, and only one of them making it, it into the championship game in the Pac-12. Like, I, I honestly don't know how that works, but boy, did the Pac-12 screw itself here, in addition to Washington and Oregon just repeatedly dick-tripping. And then uh, our, our our old buddy Kansas oh. came so close to winning a game where they had about thirty scholarship players down. <laughs> do you, did you so know bad. how shorthanded they were? I did not know they were that shorthanded. It was, and I was watching kind of one eye on the game, one eye on my. Yeah, because that was not games. their starting quarterback. Uh, they had a lot of their offensive skill position players out, and Kansas was just a. They they could have they could have gotten. A little closer with a fourth and short conversion, uh, down three late in the game, and it just didn't happen. And I just, uh, man, it just. I wonder when Les Miles is going to get his first conference win. I boy, that's I. I wouldn't or, wait, be holding... didn't he? I thought they got one last year. Yeah, they, I think they did. I don't know. They're certainly not going to get one this year. It sure doesn't look like it. With with uh, what, Texas coming to town now, it's I'm not. Uh... I'm not optimistic, and God knows it's Tech was missing. I think Matt Wells, their coach, was out for this game. Um, that Miles Kendrick had they had a quarterback who was I, I have no idea where he stands on the depth chart. He just, I mean, he went out and fought that entire game for Kansas, and you felt bad. They they just fell a tiny bit short. Oh, they actually beat Tech last year, so that was Miles's first uh, and only, I think, conference uh, conference win. Um, Dang it! It was they were they were so close, and you could tell they were jazzed, and the moment just got a little big for them in the end. Yep. Well, anyway, that is going to do it for our for our recap. So stay tuned because by the time the preview comes out, I'm sure everything will have changed. And Ohio State will be in the championship game by Imperial Fiat. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!